I'm Chris from Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., a show taking a look at the greater Marvel Cinematic and Television Universes, part of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other marvelously geeky shows at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. Hello and welcome to episode 65 of Better Podcasting Live Chat. I am Steven and I'm pleased to say SP is here. I'm here in the house with a 14-year-old dryer. Wow, 14 years old. That's a long 14? time. That is longer than, than Better Podcasting has been around. Yeah, it's almost longer than podcasting, but not quite. I mean, it's 2009 versus 2004. So podcasting been around for five years when I bought my dryer. Uh, not in my heart. My, my heart is with your dryer and not podcasting. So you have a cold heart that needs to be warmed? Yes, that is absolutely true. I, I, I do have a cold heart. Mm, you know who else has a cold heart? Who? Uh, the band Behringer. Heart when they're cold? Behringer. Oh, yes, Behringer. Let's get right into that today. Uh, there was, I came across some, some articles about some back and forth with, with SP's favorite audio equipment manufacturer, Behringer. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't keep it in any longer. I'm uh, sorry. We've <laughs> talked about Behringer products before, and we've had a, a variety of different experiences over the years with it. I, I w think it's safe to say I have had more experience with Behringer or, or more uh, positive successful? experiences, yeah. successful experiences go. with Behringer than SP has. Um, however, uh, there have been lots of people who have not ha had uh, success. And I came across a couple articles where there was a recent social media post on Facebook by Behringer. And hmm. I will read it out or a portion of it out. And then I'll tell you to do with the timing. Quote, Many, many media outlets and influencers have decided not to support us anymore because we don't pay for ads, don't provide free products for reviews, or they simply don't like us for whatever reason. In mm. all fairness, there are also many other outlets that share our content or review our products in an unbiased and honest manner because they do what is best for you, the customer. We truly appreciate those people, and we're happy to support and feature them on our channels. And I'll leave the quote there. Now, before we get into this, let's just say that statement in itself, SB, I think it's mm -hmm. very much in line with the positive beliefs that you and I have expressed on, on Better Podcasting about uh, unbiased reviews in podcasting and how there is sometimes negative consequences by companies providing free products and that there is sometimes baggage that comes with that and, and how it can skew reviews. So I think those statements in itself, I, I think it's hard for you and I to find how they're different to what we've expressed on Better Podcasting. It, those statements yeah. in themselves. I'm trying to remember. I don't think the company has ever reached out to us either to provide any sort of product for review free or just on trial. I don't remember. Do you remember? I, I don't think I've ever heard of anything. I might have even wrote them at one point for a new product that one of our community members were talking about and never heard back. Okay. Or if I did, they dismissed it because I've never gotten anything from them. So yeah, we we have no existing relationship with the company that I know of. No, no. 
Now, is that sound? Do you hear that sound, SP, in the distance? Is that the other shoe about to drop? Is that what it you're hearing? It sounds like a shoe about to drop. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So, so, okay. That statement itself. Cool. However, this came in sort of the guise of, of uh, dirty laundry being aired because apparently this came on the heels of um, a reviewer who had um, had a bit of a back and forth with Behringer. And apparently what happened was they posted this shortly after a music equipment reviewer called Loopop had said that um, he he wasn't working with uh, with Behringer and basically he was being um, accused by Behringer of of not reviewing their products or not wanting to take on their products because they wouldn't provide him for free. So basically, this was Behringer's way of saying you're you're discarding us because you are opposed to us not giving you for free. That was essentially what they were alluding to. I don't have the full scope of what Behringer said. I'm only seeing what you have put in here from the Facebook post, but I see no direct or indirect no. correlation to Lupop. And I don't even know who Lupop is. No, and I, I agree. There's nothing direct or indirect, but apparently the timing was very much around some, some hubbub behind the scenes. However, all of this happened, and there was actually a statement from this Lupop saying, Hey, Behringer, this is Ziv Lupop. Please stop spreading the lie. I stopped reviewing your units because you wouldn't send any for, for free. And then he went on to express some other concerns he has about Behringer, which, quote, When you made the offensive video about, and I'll leave the person's name out, and started copying affordable products from existing manufacturers with zero innovation, I became disgusted with your corporate culture, which I now see includes spreading lies like you did now, end quote. Now, again, I'll agree with what SP says. I I, I don't know the specifics about this. I, I don't know the details about this. However, um, it does appear there's some back and forth. Um, it does appear there's some accusations about Behringer copying other products. It does appear that whether there's credibility in that or not, I'm not sure. But it does appear uh, Behringer it felt the necessity felt it necessary to go and put a post out there about not providing free products. And so, I don't know. I just thought it was some interesting back and forth that popped up on my uh, my Google News feed about Behringer. And we, we never really talk about this, but looks like it's more in the music influencer side of things. Um, I can't blame a music influencer if they are going to focus more on stuff that aren't being provided for product reviews. Although I do think there's bias in, in there by being provided uh, review products, the reality is that um, there's only going to be a certain amount of reviewers that are going to have a certain amount of budget to spend towards that if their overall review business banks on getting either product loans or, or, or gifted products. Putting all aside all of that bias that comes with it, if that's the business that somebody has built then they're probably going to lean more in towards not putting out their own money if, if that's the, the business they've established. But anyways, interesting. I had I did not know, though, that Behringer does not provide products for free. And I kind of kind of like that. So there you go. Yeah, I have used Behringer project products in the past. I um, had a compressor, which I just recently got rid of. Uh, I sold it, hopefully. 
I don't recall having any speakers. I might have. I've used mixers in the past, which I currently do not own. There, there's no bearing or mixers in my house. Either gave them away. I, I gave them away. I didn't sell them. And I don't remember talking about any groundbreaking products from the company recently or quite frankly in in the past five years i just i don't remember any of it so maybe they do but it's just not talked about it's not talked about in the same realm as mackie or road or sennheiser or any of those other companies and they never really were a premium brand they were an affordable brand I can't speak to where they copied or not. I know their UMD 404 was very much touted for several years in the R podcasting subreddit as an affordable audio interface that did have four channels. And if you had the capability to go in with the driver into your DAW, you could multi-track record that way. But uh, I, I don't. I don't really see them being inspired innovators based on their history. Now, I I might be misplaced in that. I will admit, I don't really pay attention to the company. But at the same time, I don't remember talking about it. Yeah, they've been around for so long. And I know I think they were acquired along the way a couple of times. But like I had a my first mixer that I had was this this metal one that was made by Behringer and it lasted for a while, got some bad channels on it, and then I gifted it actually to my father-in-law, and it kept working until he he uh, had to take it out back like old Yeller. Um, and and um, you know that was I think probably uh, earlier, uh, more towards the earlier side of Behringer than the more recent side. Um, and I just also speak from the perspective of having bought a couple other mixers from them over the years and. This one felt like a rugged piece of equipment as opposed to the later ones, which did not. So some different, I think pro- I would speculate some difference in build qualities along the way. I do remember having, you know, the headphone amplifier. I believe it was the HA 400. And I did have mm. either one or two that went bad. And I just accepted it as the, you know, products go bad after a while, which, which they do. Right. Yeah. And I don't remember thinking badly about it, but I do remember replacing it with a Mackie versus a Behringer. So anyway, this whole thing back to this, uh, we don't provide units for free. I mean, they're first of all, they're admitting that they don't pay for ads. They don't actually give products, r- review products away for free. Um, I don't know if I was a company and I had a product, a newer product, I would take some of that advertisement budget and i would send a few products out to a few reviewers at least i think yeah and that's sort of what i was alluding at is is obviously we have problems with the way that that does create bias but you know i think it comes back to don't hate the hate what is it don't hate the player hate the game and unfortunately the game is that uh manufacturers send out equipment and so if they're going to not send it out then then there's going to be a percentage that doesn't review it. But whatever, maybe they're obviously happy as they are. They're owned by a company called Music Tribe now. And um, I have no idea what their revenue is. But um, anyways, they're 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 owned by a company which apparently is making money under the Behringer name. So there you go. What country is the 
company a part of is according States? to wikipedia uh their headquarters are in philippines okay so it's a foreign-based company which zoom is a foreign-based company right zoom i think is japan if i if i'm remembering correctly i don't remember i don't remember yeah i, th- I think they're and road is australian right and i believe sennheiser is european i want to say german but i don't remember exactly so it's not like having a foreign brand is is detrimental. Sennheiser headquarters, Germany. All right. There I'm, you go. I'm, rem- I'm slowly remembering <laughs> stuff. <laughs> so there's uh, Larry does Behringer. I didn't have much to say about that other than other than that popped up and I thought it was very interesting. And yeah, uh, go ahead. Well, the, yes, the whole review thing. I even if the units are sent out for review for free or gifted to a reviewer for free. As long as the reviewer says what the bias is, then I can take the bias and I can run with it, so to speak. If they give them out for free and it is not disclosed, like the Rodecaster Pro OG, when that was originally sent out and Rode either just didn't ask for them back or they sent them out and they gave them to the reviewers it wasn't disclosed for anyone for a long time and and honestly there might have been some confusion over the fact that road didn't expect them back but it was never disclosed that i get hey i got this unit for review and i'm not sending it back sort of thing and i go back to the preamps on the roadcaster pro og are not really good preamps the roadcaster pro 2 preamps are a lot better i think largely because there started to be people like us which were saying yeah it's a i like the concept but the preamps could be better in it that sort of thing uh so as long as you disclose that you're getting the unit for free for review i can at least put it in a bin so Fair. to speak airpoint and you know the you bring up the roadcaster pro the one that i thought was really kind of almost comically um adding color to the reviews was how they with the original uh reviewers they had included was it a carrying case or was it a bag that you couldn't I think buy it was a backpack you couldn't yeah. buy it, it was exclusive right. to the people that they gave the roadcaster pros to and it was like people were seeing them in reviews and they're like oh i want to buy that <laughs> Sorry, yeah i, I would have bought it <laughs> if i had a roadcaster pro the original and and i want it because it was touted as being mobile at the time yeah. And if and, and it is a lot more mobile than like the big, huge Mackie mixer that I had, the 16 channel mixer that I had at the time. And I would have loved to have been able to take it to places and use it, but I would have had to have had some sort of case or carrying bag yeah. in order to make sure that it didn't get damaged or at least minimize the damage as I'm toting it around. So, yeah, it was kind of important at the time. And by them just saying, yeah, we we just send it out as pro promotional items. That should have been disclosed, and it wasn't. So I had something that I wanted to talk about. We're coming up on Prime Day next week. I believe it's the 10th and 11th, or maybe the 11th and 12th. Prime Day, they had one already. It's usually in the summer, but they're having another one in the fall, kind of a kickoff to Black Friday, I think. So one of the things that we've been talking about for years on the show is the use of camelcamelcamel.com. That's the word camel spelled three times.com. That would be a price watch site 
that you can take a look and monitor the price of the items. So you can, in some cases, see how Amazon has elevated a price right before a sale like Black Friday or Prime Day or whatever, and then they will lower it and it will seem like a bigger discount than it actually is. One of the things that you can do is put in a price watch. So when the amount of the item goes below a level, it will send you, it will email you an alert and say, hey, look, you can have this item for this price, but you have to actually you know, come in and buy it right now. And over the years, I have some preferential or favorite price watches that I have, uh, one of which is relatively new, but it's the Electro Voice RE20. And it is currently not in stock right now on Amazon. It hasn't been for months, but it has been at Amazon as low as $399. In truth, I would not buy it from Amazon. I would buy the uh, combo that you can get at B&H Photo, which is the shock mount, the pop filter, and the microphone. And it's all bundled and a lower price than you can get. And those do go on sale from time to time, but I would have an indicator of what that would be with the Amazon price. So that's kind of my favorite one right now, just to monitor the price of the RE3 RE20, not three. I keep on wanting to say RE320, RE20, because I have been wanting that microphone for quite some time. So I, I will watch it. I, I'm not in the market for it this year, but I'm going to closely watch the price. And like I said, it's been as low as $399. And this is the black version. There's that gray version that they've had for a while as well. The Rode Procaster has been as low recently, by the way, as $150. $4 on amazon.com. Amazon is not an authorized reseller of road. So you got to watch out whether or not you get a fake or not, but you can set the price. Like normally it's $229. You can set your price watch for like 190, 180 or something like that. And then when it goes down to like 179, I think currently it is $179 in the United States. Then it will pop up and say, Hey, look, it's on sale. And then you could go in and buy it if you're really looking to have it on sale. So that's another favorite of mine, just because I know the microphone is a steal for the price to begin with. And then you get it down in the $150 range. And it's really, really a steal. It's it's a kind of if you're looking for one, it's a no brainer to buy it at that point. If you have the money, I do not advocate going into debt on buying any of this stuff. Another one that I've had on the list for a very, very long time is the Rode NTG 4 Plus shotgun microphone, and I've seen that as low as $265. I got to put one in for the big Sennheiser uh, MKH, I believe it's 416 shotgun microphone. I currently don't have one on that, but you can see the history of the price. So you can take a look at the lows and you can set your level just above the low to see if you can get the sale price again, uh, Roadcaster Pro 2, if you're in the market for that last year and December 21st, it got as low as $549 on Amazon and regularly it goes for like $699. So that was like $150 off. It had debuted at $699, I believe. And then it's been selling in like the 649. I think they've just jumped it back up to 699. 
So if you're in the market for one, I'd set, set if you want the steel deal, I'd set it like at $599.99 to see if you can get in the $500 level. But my question for everybody out there is if you use Camel, 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 if you have a favorite price that you're watching right now, favorite item that you're watching right now. Like I said, mine's the Electrovoice RE20 right now. If I was in the market for that Sennheiser shotgun microphone, that would probably be my favorite. But my favorite right now is Electrovoice RE20. And I just can't wait for that to pop up with a surprise email at some point in time. Say, hey, SP, you're, this is a low thing. And there was a microphone, uh, I, I can't remember the brand, uh, but it's discontinued now. And I had been looking for it for a while because it was a large dynamic cardio microphone, like a broadcast microphone, but it was really meant as a drum microphone, the M99. Barrier Dynamic, I believe, was the name for it. And I was at a function for one of my kids. We were, were uh, I don't know, an hour or two hours away, an hour and a half away. And I got the notification. I immediately bought what it was. And when I bought what it was, uh, it put me in a queue, but then the order got canceled. Like, I don't know, a few hours later, everybody, I was in this group of people that we were all talking about it. And then one by one, we were like, oh, the order was canceled. Ah, oh, the order was canceled. So the deals can be too good to be true. And online, apparently, if something's on sale, that you, they can pull it back. But those are my favorite price watches. I had a few others for a while there. I had the CAD D90 microphone, uh, just not in the market for a handheld microphone anymore. So I closed that one off. I've closed the other ones off over time. Uh, photo review box uh, or photo, uh, a, um, a photo box for, you know, you take photos of items that you're trying to sell or highlight on your webpage or whatever. I've had one of those for a while. It's just a lighted box. It's white. You can take photos of objects in there. And then you can, if you're really advanced, you can edit out the backgrounds because it's mostly white and that sort of stuff. Uh, but I have used it to stage stuff to sell online before. I have one. And I know my son has selling like Pop Funko. So it's one of the things that if it gets down low enough, there's a sale, it's good enough, I will buy one and send it to him. So Stephen. What is your favorite? I know you have several, but what is your favorite camel, camel, camel price watch? I actually don't right now have any. I I, none have, at I, all. I have none at the moment. I, I don't. However, I will say that I think my favorite of all time was my Zoom H6. And the reason why, okay. because I will absolutely confess to leveraging it in order to use a price match at an alternative competitor and get <laughs> get a super discount. And it dropped down, it plummeted on Amazon uh, to, to a really cheap price, cheaper than anything else. And then I, yeah, I absolutely use that to, to take advantage of another price match policy elsewhere. So, so that was probably my we, favorite of all time. We've been talking about Camel, Camel, Camel for years. Yeah. And Prime Day, there's another Prime Day coming up next week. And I would heavily advocate using camel 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 to see if you were really getting a deal or not yeah and then sure. if there is a deal that pops up during prime day there's some cases where there's just too much going on and the notification just doesn't get to you but 
if you're looking for something and you're busy with other things during the day, I don't know, like school or work meetings or something <laughs> like that, then you just don't have to like hit F5 and refresh the page or refresh the the uh, page on your phone or or whatever to find if you're getting a good deal or not, or find if it's going on sale or not. So I would heavily recommend that. And I'm asking our audience once again, if you have a favorite camel, camel, camel price watch, we want to know what it is. And I will also say, take a look at the dates associated with the price drops, because the reality is we live in a time that things cost a lot more now. People sell cars for more than they've bought. We've sold audio equipment for the same price or more than what we bought years ago. So if you go and you're like, wow, that you know, it's it's quite the deep discount right now, but it looks like in 2018 it was 50 bucks cheaper, probably never gonna see that again because we're not at that. You know, that was a long time ago. So um definitely keep in mind the dates on there as well. But I, I love throwing these super deals into camel 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 and seeing is it is it really is it really a deal or did did the price shoot up a week before prime days <laughs> and i've been caught in that before i was like oh this is a deal and then i go camel 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 I'm like yeah that is not a deal it's like two dollars off uh like it's it's 98 dollars instead of 100 but the price says 199 down to <laughs> eight ninety eight dollars and you're like oh i'm saving a hundred dollars no no you're not well, thanks for bringing up the camel, camel, camel discussion. It's always good. Uh, Black Friday season talk, holiday season talk, definitely worth talking about. And uh, I have a weird thing I want to comment on here. And and it's because something I've been noticing while we've been recording here. And uh, it kind of leads a little bit into one of the points that, that I have on the list. So let me start with that point and then get to the weird thing I've been noticing. And, and it's about my backdrop again, SP. Are you tired of hearing about my backdrop? I'm so tired of hearing about your backdrop, okay. your non-existent backdrop. <laughs> for, for those of you who haven't been following along, what it is, is right now I'm currently using a green screen as my backdrop. But for many, many years, I had this big physical monstrosity that you see behind me. That's a photo of, of the monstrosity that I used to have. And I used to wheel it off. And then I would bring it back every single episode. And then when we did the hiatus, I came back and I switched over to a green screen. But it was a bit of a uh, setup for that. It was a cloth-based green screen that was on a couple of stands that that I had put uh, the cloth thing on a PVC pipe that then was held by a couple custom uh, DIY 3D print holders. And it was a pain to put up and down, had to put the rods up, then try to manually, uh, you know, unroll, unravel it and ravel it up every day. And it was quite the pain. Well, a couple weeks ago, I finally set up a retractable green screen behind me that uh, that just, you know, is, is suspended from the ceiling. And just like a projector screen, you pull up and, and whatnot. Uh, pull down and then let it go and, and all that stuff. And uh, the other day we recorded the official Gonna Geek show with our our co-host Chris Farrell over there. And immediately when I was done, I just had this moment of having to message SP about how much I enjoyed being able to just quickly retract that green screen because it was like I threw a couple of lights just back, retracted the green screen, and basically my den was was back to to how I wanted it. And so I. Uh, I, it made me really think I'm I guess after a couple of years of having, you know, or many years of having this big monstrosity to wheel back and forth. And then, you know, this big rigmarole with putting up my green screen behind me for until I got this retractable one. It made me really think like when I do switch things out on my physical backdrop, which I've talked about for a while, I've wanted to make some changes for a while. 
how do I make it as easy as possible? Because I, I really enjoy the simplicity of what I have now. And maybe that just comes down to I go, OK, no, I'm just going to accept that I can't wear green. Or maybe I take the SP advice if I put up a second green screen or, or a second chroma key, which is blue. So it's a blue screen and I could have blue when I'm wearing green and green when I'm wearing blue. Um, so I don't know. But it really just this this whole moment on Monday when we recorded and I was done, I was like, retract the screen and I'm basically done. It was nice. It was comfortable. I enjoyed it. And so it really makes me think a little bit about what I want to do. And uh, really quick, I'll just say the reason I started thinking about this is because I've noticed my face is really red this this episode. And I think it's because I don't have my my um, well, first off, it's red because I'm just, you know, blushing from being around SP. But also, um, I think it's it's because I mentioned a couple weeks ago, I had to tweak some of my chroma key settings. And so I think that um, I think they're not perfectly dialed in yet. I think that they're, they might be too saturated. So I might have to do a little bit more digging on that um, and, or figure out what it is that's making making my face look pretty red tonight. But um, I don't think I got any sun. It hasn't been very sunny, but I just thought I would mention that. And that's what made me think about the, the green screen. So Medical News Today posted <laughs> a... A thing and it's uh, the title is why does my face go red after drinking alcohol some people's faces flush after drinking alcohol if the body cannot metabolize alcohol effectively too much of a substance called acetylide can build up this is toxic and can cause a histamine release resulting in flushing and other symptoms well i have not that's, had alcohol so that, that's totally unrelated to what you were just talking about <laughs> But yeah, I, I think I want to really work on simplicity when I do figure out my physical backdrop changes that I'm going to do at some point. Some form of simplicity. Simplicity is is the key, especially if your set is an active part of your workflow or of your house or whatever. If you have a multi-use setup, which most hobby podcasters do. You don't most hobby podcasters don't have a room that they just put aside for this is my podcasting setup. Now, some people have a gaming room for their like tabletop gaming, their D and D, and then they, you know, mic it up and put sound treatments, stuff like that. And they add sound recording to it. So that's really cool. That's kind of having a studio, a, a dedicated studio in the house, but most of us don't. So most of us are doing multiple things. So being able to, if you're doing video shows, and that's another thing I want to talk about tonight, but if you're doing video shows, then having a quick setup and teardown is paramount because you have other things you need to do in life. Is it paramount or paramount plus? It's uh, Disney plus. Oh, fair enough. <sighs> uh, I wasn't actually trying to segue to another one of my points, but I think we have to at that point since we set up streaming, streaming talk. I, I think I think that that's the natural segue here. So um, I'm just going to quickly throw this in here. There's been a bit of hubbub in the world of podcasting and streaming. There's been headlines all about this in Canardia here. Uh, last Friday on September 29th, uh, the CRTC in Canada announced that they were going to have online streaming and podcast services that are mm -hmm. operating in Canada with $10 million or more in revenue have to register with the CRTC by November 28th. Now, the CRTC is basically the governing body in Canada for things like broadcast and, 
you know, radio, TV and things like that. They're, they're the, the big governing body there. And so when this came out and people are seeing the headlines about podcasting, immediately you've got the, the articles out there of people being like, whoa, look what, what's happening in Canada. It's stopping the, stopping all the, the free podcast talk there, there, you know, regulations, all that crap. And I'm not going to talk about the politics about it. I, I'll make it clear. I got some some views about the CRTC policies, but I'm not going to express the views on the podcast. However, what I will say is that I wanted to throw some context in here because I saw this floating around all over the internet when this was announced last Friday. And um, one of the things that I, I do want to throw out there is that the CRTC has for a long time had some some regulations about content that is broadcast. And and uh, allegedly, this is a spinoff of the modernization of those regulations. And, and specifically, an example of the Canadian, C the CRTC regulations, uh, a good example of some of the regulations they've had on Canadian content consumption is they have had mandates, as far as I can see, I'm not a historian, but as far as I can see, dating back to the 70s, um, some regulations on television and radio about having to have a certain percentage of Canadian content. And they always spun this as, as a way to help, you know, Canadian artists and Canadian industries and all that stuff there. And I think there's a whole debate that, that, that could be had about whether that is applicable in modern society and, and whatnot, but that this is not the place for that debate. And this is, this is not what we're going to talk about, but I just wanted to mention that this is something that is happening in Canada. And not only are they looking to say, hey, if you're a podcasting service with big revenue, you've got to register. So with, with you know, an existing Canadian government governing body. And then also just say that from what it's currently positioned, it is a spinoff of the modernization of that, which also includes streaming services. There was um, a, a big uh, debate, I will say, um, about implementing some of that Canadian regulation into streaming services like Netflix and Disney Plus and all that in Canada uh, not so long ago, just really recently. And apparently this whole podcast and streaming service thing is a part of that modernization or what is an attempt to modernize the regulations. And um, I'm not I'm not saying if I'm for, I'm not saying if it's against. Like I said, I have my thoughts, but I don't want to get into the weeds of Canadian politics other than regulations on maple syrup. So if I'm reading these regulations correctly, if you make 10 million or more in annual revenue, you need to register with the CRTC. <laughs> that's what right? I saw. That's, right? what, that's as far if as I 10 saw. 10 million. Yeah, that's what I saw. So if you convert 10 million Satoshis it equals in U.S. dollars. I have no idea about Canadian dollars. In U.S. dollars, it's two thousand nine hundred and one dollars. Actually, two if you round up. So two thousand nine hundred and two dollars. That's ten million satoshis. So if you've made three thousand dollars with your podcast, you have to register with the Canadian Radio and Telecommunications Commission. I would assume that the ten million dollars would be ten million. Canadian dollars. Oh, so not 10 million Satoshis? I, I would assume that's what it would be. Okay, so if you're podcasting 2.0 in Canada, then you don't have to worry about the 10 million Satoshis. I know nothing about the Satoshis, other than um, wasn't that an awesome character on uh, on Enterprise? Oh, wait, that was Hoshi Satato. Sato? Now I can't. 
Don't make me uh, remember her last name <laughs> off the top of my head out of the thousands of Star Trek characters that there are. No, we're not going to go there Sato. tonight. Sato. Hoshi Sato. Sato. <laughs> All right. No, no, no. Satoshi is a thing for podcasting 2.0. So if you know, we're not talking about that here on Better Podcasting, but if you want to go into a very complex and complicated method of value for value, Go to valueforvalue.com and figure that all out. And you can uh, make money with Satoshis. But then if you make 10 million Satoshis, you're going to have to register with the Canadian Radio Telecommunications Commission. The only thing that this really affects you and I is I think this finally means that we are going to actually have to register better podcasting officially as American because, you know, we make over $10 million Canadian. So it's probably better we do that. Yeah, it's like 50 cents American. All right, SP, you also yeah. had put down here a point that uh, you had that was all about fraud. Was it about my fraud? Was it the fraud that I was committing? Yeah, you commit fraud all the time. <laughs> there was a Bloomberg.com report a couple of weeks ago, and this just really hasn't risen to the priority importance for us to talk about. I've had it in the dock for a couple of weeks now. But there was this Bloomberg.com article that reported on a closed door meeting at, I believe, Podcast Movement this year that Lipson had about fraudulent download numbers. And this is once I, I think this is hilarious because the whole reason behind the IAB and the stat certification was to make sure that there wasn't fraud in saying how many numbers did you get right so that you could go to advertisements and say, see, we have X amount of downloads. You can pay us a standard rate and everything. But apparently there is some fraud. Some's easy to spot. Some's a little bit more difficult to spot. You know, like you can edit screenshots. That's apparently supposed to be easy. But I guess if you got the Google foo going on with your uh, with, with Photoshop uh, techniques that it would be a little bit harder, I would think. Uh, unusual traffic from browsers, that's always been a question. If you're Twitter bombing, I think they they automatically have, have thrown that out now. But with the X, who knows? Maybe you can X-bomb now. I, ha I have no idea. But apparently, it was such a problem that Libsyn, Liberated Syndication, decided to have a closed door. They, they didn't want to make it open. They didn't want to tell, tell people how they could fraudulently report numbers. This is a closed-door meeting between Libsyn and some podcasters, and I assume some advertisers, saying... Yeah, we have a fraud problem in podcasting. <laughs> I just think that was a little interesting. So, hey, you hobby podcasters out there, don't worry. <laughs> don't worry about fraud in your numbers because it's really not going to matter for you uh, at the levels that most of you are seeing downloads. And concentrate on the fun of your podcast and not the fraud in podcasting. <laughs> Uh, I have thoughts about this and I think it's, it's the flag that's attempting to be waved, I think comes down to a power shift. And I think that this is probably something that many people who have not been trying to use their numbers, uh, in, in a way have been very aware of this sort of problem for a long time and, and have questioned things before and have sometimes been dismissed. And I think that, um, 
Now that there's a, a lack of power in certain circles, I think that now there, that flag is being able to be waved because it might be other people now who are are benefiting from inflated numbers. So I I'm not I'm not surprised to see this. I don't know that I think the the motivations are always in good faith. Did I do, do, dance that enough? Did I make any sense? There was a lot of tapping going on, <laughs> a lot of ta- right on the ledge there, a lot of a lot of tap dancing there. So we're just going to leave it <laughs> as it lies, and we're going to move on to something else. Uh, in the last couple of weeks, and I've been slow to report this because honestly, I have been uh, not understanding you know, the end mm. basically, and that's the WGA strike is over. And is, I is that that's golfing? Oh wait, that was PGA. Never mind. Yeah, the Writers Guild of America. This is the writer strike with TV and movies. And since there's a lot of hobby podcasts that cover the entertainment industry, this is kind of important. So the WGA strike is over. Uh, some podcasts might um, be affected by this because you might have had the benefit of having some writers that, you know, were looking for other jobs in other industries that weren't covered by the agreement. And now those writers are going off like the late night shows are being able to be produced. Uh, unfortunately, the SAG strike is still going on. So you won't have the actors coming on talking about projects if they have something personal going on, say like a book that they've released right. or something like that, then they can come on board and talk about it. But the writer strike is over, which means production can commence when you're not being covered by SAG AFTRA. And that's just important for entertainment covering podcasters. And the reason why I say I wasn't really sure is they made an agreement, but then they said, well, we have to have it ratified. But then they said the writers can return to work. And I was like, well, wait, wait a minute. If it's not ratified, how are the writers returning to work? So this was me literally just not understanding the complete process and wanting to toe the line legally <laughs> as we report this on better podcasting. But apparently the writers are allowed to go back and work on projects. Now, I don't think the strike is officially over, or at least the agreement is not officially signed, but the strike is over. So there's return to work and WJ is there SAG. That's another story. The SAG after you still, have issues returning to production but if you're going to do something sequentially you want the writers to come back before the actors to come back so i think that's kind of a good thing at least how it stands right now yeah i think that's the part for me that i think is interesting about this is because you know you got you got to write something before you end up being able to shoot it and so um because we deal with hobby podcasters there's a lot of hobby podcasters out there that are looking to uh, podcast on existing television and movies and things like that. And so this, I think, is the first step for seeing, you know, the continuation of new media, uh, newly created media being put out there. And so as long as, you know, the writers get back in the writer room, might not be able to film anything yet, but at least um, the ball is rolling for when that SAG-AFTRA agreement is all worked out eventually brings up another point that I wanted to make, uh, and we've talked about it before, but it's come up again. So I just want to kind of foot stomp it. The the age old question of podcasting is audio only. You can't have a video. A video is not podcasting unless it's distributed with an RSS feed. 
No, not so much. Uh, there are many reasons why you'd want to have video and podcasting. There's the search engine over at YouTube. I'm not really going to get into YouTube podcasting tonight because um, I've talked a bunch about that. And long story short, there is no RSS feed currently in YouTube or YouTube music to throw your podcasts in that I have found. And if you have found you listener, if you are listening to me and you're like, SP, it's out now, let me know. But I have not seen an announcement. I have not seen any documentation from YouTube or YouTube music on the RSS feeds. Uh, so yes, I get, we've talked about before, I get the fact that there's a difference between the technical definition of a podcast and the video show. Uh, common nomenclature, old folks, old fogies, says that a video show is a podcast for those new people out there that are consuming stuff. So just get over it. You've lost the common popular war on the term of podcasting. Uh, yes, I will agree. And, and this is the, 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 the difference. I will agree on the technical de uh, definition of a podcast. It's just the popular term is much different. So there are reasons to have a video show of your podcast on YouTube for search engine optimization, even a talking head show like we're doing right now. Uh, I think I, I will still maintain a static image is probably not going to get you anywhere near what you can get with a, a talking head podcast. There are ways around it. If you don't want to show your face, there's VTubing. And here's the other thing, though, Stephen, everybody is clamoring. How do I grow my show? How do I promote your show? Take the funny 15 second bit or the most important 15 second bit 30 second bit, 45 second bit, up to 60 second bit and throw it on social media and not just once, but do it continually throughout the week. Be your own social media manager. And the only way you're going to be able to do that is to have some sort of video with it. And the easy way for hobbyists to do that is to do exactly what Stephen and I are doing right now and recording a talking head podcast. And then you just throw it on TikTok or throw it on Instagram or throw it on the X as a video. And you, I, Steven, I have no idea what you're doing right uh, now. I, my green's not working. I was trying to be a, ta a literal talking head, but unfortunately the green's uh, okay. not a close I, enough I see, match. I, I tried. I tried here for the audio listener. <laughs> you're, you're trying to do the floating head thing. I get it. So that that's my standpoint with video podcasts. Yeah, mm -hmm. There's still people today that say, that's not a podcast if you do a video show. Well, true, but that's not what people in the general public are calling it. And how are you going to promote if you're audio? Only? Nobody listens to an audiogram. They all want to see video. I still want to know why people care when they get so passionate. It's like someone comes in and says, I, I'm have a question about my podcast and then they have a video only show and, and the comment that someone replies is it's not a podcast you know it's like what are you contributing to that why are you so passionate that you feel you need to come in and say that that's like you know the intent of the question what's the purpose and and it's probably just a ego thing well there are so many people coming into podcast spaces like r slash podcasting which is a subreddit and full disclosure i'm a moderator of it that come in and say what cameras do I need for my podcast? And there's a bunch of people that say, what are you talking about camera? You don't need a camera. Do audio only. And I would agree with that. We talked about that before. We slightly differ on that, but we do agree the easiest way to start a podcast is to go audio only yeah. and not do the video thing, right? So yeah, there is that. But 
if you don't have video, then you don't have your promotional material and it's hard to grow your show without it. So yeah, I think video is a part of podcasting, whether we want it to be or not. For sure. So we'd like to know, do you want us to be talking heads? Let us know at podcast at betterpodcasting.com. Is, is that what, that's the takeaway from that segment. Talking heads or floating heads? Well, either one, either, okay. either. All right. Uh, all right. So, uh, SP, are you ready? I've come to resolve on my Vegas evaluation. You see mm. what I did there? Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, I just speculating on where you're going right now. <laughs> so if you didn't gather this, if you missed this episode for the last uh, month and a bit, I've been attempting to use the new version of Magic's Vegas, the editor. That's the one that SP uses. That's the one that I used to use before I decided to give DaVinci Resolve a try. And I've been trying version 21. I bought the uh, month subscription for Vegas Pro, gave it a try. And this was after I had uh, had pretty good success under DaVinci Resolve. But thought, well, you know, they've redone some things in Vegas. Let me give it a try. See if it's fixed some of those problems I've had. And I think I've made a decision that I'm going to go back to DaVinci Resolve. And mm -hmm. what it ultimately comes down to is I'm ha still having some issues with Vegas. Playback, slowness, some stutter, um, some things. And there are there are things that I really like about going back to Vegas. But then there are other things that I, I really enjoy about DaVinci Resolve. I think it's a little bit more modern. Um, the playback is a little smoother. The render time is faster. Um, but there are some issues I have with DaVinci Resolve as well. But in the end, I just think DaVinci Resolve feels more modern. It's capable on more operating systems than Vegas. And so if I'm going to work towards trying to deal with some of these outstanding problems, I think I'm going to go with DaVinci Resolve because number one, um, I, I do think like it feels like a product that is is being created more in the here and now than Vegas. So I think probably more longevity. Uh, I'll be honest. I think if you track the history of Magic's having Vegas, it feels like they've been treading water a little bit since they bought it. Um, yes, they've brought some things in. Yes, there's been some cool features we've talked about along the way, but to me, it feels more like treading water than DaVinci does with their product. I do have concerns about DaVinci Resolve, a big portion of their profile being the free version. I think we've talked about the downside with free, but Black Magic, I think it is, is Black Black Magic Labs, Black Magic Designs, they own DaVinci Resolve and they're making money lots of other ways in in big media. So I'm not really concerned too much about that. Um, they, they definitely have their, their safe source of income and then they do have the studio version. So I kind of think that I want to have a look at the DaVinci Resolve and try to deal with the issues I have there rather than kind of continue to tread water in Vegas. So I, I hadn't had any crashes in Vegas and that was the big thing that finally made me go, you know what, going to go with DaVinci Resolve. I just got really tired of the, you know, rolling the dice, whether I was going to be able to export something or not. And, and I haven't had that with, with, since I went back now, there could be a billion other factors that are unrelated to the new version of Vegas that made that happen. But at the end of the day, in the entire time I've been trying Vegas 21, I, I did not have, I don't think I had a single crash if I'm being honest. So, mm. um, which, which is promising. It felt like it was going to crash several times in, typical places that it would crash like doing a couple of repetitive undos but it always came out of it so 
Um, I think that's probably a good thing. And I think as I go forward with DaVinci Resolve, the big thing I want to do is look at the paid version. What do I get with the paid version? Does that patch any of the holes? And one example of that is, as I've made it clear with DaVinci Resolve, I don't like how I think you can only put six audio plugins in the chain. With Vegas, you can do a lot more than that. Um, you can work around it by putting it into another audio bus, but it just gets confusing and things like that. And I don't really want to do that with DaVinci Resolve. But does the studio version uh, offer that? Maybe if it does, I'd want to pay for it. Or maybe I'm not. I'd go, you know, it's not worth my money at this time unless a deal comes along and I'll just put up with what I have. Um, as well, look into some of the things. Like when I go to hit play on DaVinci Resolve, there's a bit of uh, a stutter as in the audio as it as sort of catches up. And I'd want to have a look. Is that due to the FLAC implementation? Um, so maybe I should try some waveforms. Again, I probably wouldn't go away from FLAC. That's the whole reason we I held off going to DaVinci Resolve for a long time. They didn't support it, but at least it'd be information. So, you know, I'd rather sort through those shortcomings than the ones in Vegas. And um, I there are some features I, I, I'm sad to see and, and kind of say goodbye to in Vegas because I don't think I'll probably go back for a while unless something just, you know, instantly drives me back over when I do start to edit back and resolve again. But I think just overall, it probably was a little more positive day-to-day -day experience in DaVinci Resolve than it was in Vegas Pro. Both have their pros, both have their cons. And uh, that's just what I thought I would mention. I kind of made that decision last week that I was going to probably start doing that. A couple of things. I brought up a project that I have been editing in the past week here and my track. I have a total of eight active uh, VSTs that are working on it and two additional ones that are on the track but are not active and i'm using vegas 19 so i have a total of eight active effects on that track so i wouldn't be able to do that in davinci resolve for the record there are x9 voice denoise gmax spl deverb plus rx9 mouth declick rx9 deplosive rx9 breath control track noise gate which is inherent within uh vegas and track eq another vegas and a the the last one is to take some of the lower end stuff out so that those are the eight effects that i generally use on my track i'll throw other ones in there if need be i've got a couple that i've taken out just because they're du either duplicative or they mess up the track and i've just discovered that so i take them out so uh, the two Additional ones are RX9 D-Click and RX9 Spectral Denoise. The Spectral Denoise I will use from time to time if I need to. The D-Click is duplicative with the mouth D-Click, so I don't use it. But if I have some hard clicks, I will undo the mouth D-Click and I will do the D-Click in there. So that's just my workflow with my personal track on how I edit my own stuff. And then I was using this to edit... Uh, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. last weekend, and just like what you said, rapidly undoing some things, including a, 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 for me, it's when I'm splitting a track and then I'm undoing it to reconnect the track later, I'll rapidly go through the undo, undo, undo with like the control Z mm -hmm. uh, keys, and then boom, after three or four, it'll freeze up, and it did freeze up this past weekend on me once. And uh, I got a little frustrated on it because uh, it had been a while since it had frozen up. But again, that's 19 and you tried 21 and you said you didn't run into that. So yeah. 
maybe I need to jump up when there's a deal for 21. And since you mentioned the audio plugin limitation, and that's uh, something I worked around when I when I went into it, was I just decided there's a couple I didn't need. But I think it's a valid limitation that some people are going to run into. And um, I, I wasn't going to expand on what I meant by extra audio buses, but I will right now. And this is the solution I've had people suggest to me before. Essentially, what it is, is, is you can have what's called an audio bus. Basically, you can have a, a different pipe for the audio to be processed to. So you could say, I want track one to go through this audio bus, track four, track five, and then you go, oh, I want track two and three to go through audio bus two. And essentially it's a separate way that those tracks are basically feeding to the end mix is what it is. And you could put plugins onto that audio bus. So you could essentially extend it. So you might be like, I got six. The first six are on SP's track. I'm going to feed that into audio bus two which have the the subsequent three. And the reason I don't want to do that is because I know I'll forget. I know I'll forget what's on there and I'll forget that I have some sitting on an audio bus and I'll, I'll just be like, okay, why is this sounding weird? What's going on? What do I want to remove? I thought I had this and then maybe I'll stack them up double by mistake because I, I'll, I won't make the association that I want to change something in the signal change for SP's track. Oh, wait, I also need to go to the secondary area. And I know that I'll do that. So that's why for me, it's not really a practical solution unless it, it push comes to shove. And like, let's say we had a guest and, and it was the only way I was really going to be able to get their audio super clear was extending the plugins. I've had to do that before. Then I would do it in that that situation. So. On, on Vegas 19, it's not an audio bus, so you can't put in multiple audio buses. But as you know, there is the master. Yeah. So you can do something like that. You got to be careful, though, because if you put too much yep. in there, all of a sudden it will overcome its ability to process everything. Not only will it go slow, it'll hang up and it, it just won't. So you can't put too much, especially on the master, because the master is after all of your processing that you do on the tracks the master is on top of that and sometimes it's just too much and it it stops processing altogether so you take a look at the final product and it's not leveled like i use gmax to level everything off and i'm like no it's not level what happened oh i just had too much going on so you have to back it up it's also why around well one of the many reasons why i round trip the audio which is an additional uh, step in the whole thing that takes an additional it depends on how many audio tracks i have an additional hour or two and what I mean by round tripping audio is I will uh, solo one track and I will actually process the audio on that one track and then I will bring it in back in as a process track. And that's what we call round tripping. And it reduces the processing that is necessary on Vegas. Vegas, while it is a audio you can use it as an audio editor it's mainly a video editor so i'm not surprised of these limitations i have never used and i need to i've never used davinci resolve so i guess maybe uh when i'm off and 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 sleepwalking with the new grandkid or something like that maybe i should try it you know one of the things you just triggered while you were talking there and, and I, I don't know what it was that you said that made me think of this um the I do want to give Vegas credit where credit is due because, you know, it's a relatively low price tag if you get it on one of the sales. And um, it includes things like hardware encoding with the with the latest NVIDIA encoders and, and even the AMD encoders and stuff. Yeah. And I believe DaVinci Resolve keeps that for their paid tier, which is, I think, quite expensive. I think that under the free tier, you don't get any of that. 
And, you know, you look at um, once you're in the pipeline, you know, you're looking at like for a deal, you about a hundred buck upgrade if you wait for the right price to, to upgrade. Um, that's usually where we find, I think, the price drops in about in Vegas, in Vegas, sorry, yeah. in Vegas. And so you look at that and you're like, there's a lot of value with the features they offer in Vegas, including those. Um, so I just wanted to mention that. And, you know, I, I, I didn't want to sound like I was poo-pooing completely on Vegas because there is value in there. It's just for me, I, I pretty much decide I'm going to continue back with Resolve. So with Resolve, because there's that paid tier, what, how do you finalize your encoding? Do you take it through Handbrake or something? No, I do... So at the moment, actually, that's another good point you bring up because I have to currently export under QuickTime format, I think it is. I don't know. It's probably not QuickTime. People are probably saying, it's not called QuickTime anymore. I don't know. But I have to export it under uh, an MOV format for sure because at the moment, the MP4 version in DaVinci Resolve will only allow the audio encoder to go up to a certain quality. And it's one that I, I noticed playing back. It didn't sound very good. First time I ever exported as an MP4 in DaVinci Resolve, I immediately noticed that it sounded like a quality drop. And so when I go and I export as an MOV, I can imp improve that audio quality so it sounds a lot better. Um, so at the moment, I'm I'm exporting as I think it's an MOV, and then I'm just uploading that to YouTube and letting YouTube do its processing that it does and just keeping the MOV as the archive. All right. Uh, say we had uh, some feedback based on something we talked about last time with YouTube music. And I know I kind of touched on it oh, this yeah. time, but yeah. we, we had the larger like Google podcasts going away and Google play music and YouTube music. We had a statement on our discord server, which you can find at betterpodcasting.com slash discord from Damien, the third official co-host of Better Podcasting. He said, longtime YouTube music listener, it's fine. And I don't know, by the way, if it's, it's fine or it's fine. So we'll just take it how it goes. It, it, it's the I, whole I textual like, context thing. It, I taking it as how, like, you know, when I, when I make dinner, I'm like, how, how's, how's uh, the cooking wifey? And, and, and she's like, oh, you call this cooking? Oh, I guess it's fine. That's how I take it. Okay, so we'll, <laughs> we'll go with that. So longtime YouTube music listener, it's fine. I'm a very, very longtime YouTube premium, formerly YouTube Red subscriber. So when they killed Google Play Music and pushed us over to YouTube Music, I made the switch. Didn't like some of the changes at first. Now I'm not even sure what I would say I preferred on Google Play Music over YouTube Music. I don't plan to use it at all for podcast listening, though like how I have podcast attic set up. So a lot of podcasters have their app of choice. Mine is overcast. Uh, I know a lot of people use podcast attic or pocket cast, or some are still on the Apple uh, podcast app or stuff like that. And there's a lot of podcast apps out there. Uh, I just don't see myself converting over to YouTube music to listen to podcasts, but it's not me. That's the issue. It is the consumer like the people that are on Spotify that are listening to podcasts, is this going to be how YouTube finally gets up to the 20% consumption rate that Spotify is at because of YouTube music? I don't know. So we do have clarification in the chat. Uh, Damien says it's quote, I don't see why people pay for Spotify when they have a YouTube premium sub and quote, fine. That's what he said. Okay. Um, And I, I will say this. Unless, can, can you? Get YouTube music on 
Amazon smart speakers, A-L-E-X-A's. Because last I knew you couldn't, um, but I, I'd like to know if you can, um, because that's one of the challenges I always run into and why I kept paying for Amazon music in addition to whichever music service I was primarily using. Because sometimes I have family that would be like, we want to be able to say a word, play this song. And I was like, oh, well, I guess since this subscription doesn't integrate in there, I'm going to have to subscribe. So, well, from maxim.com, it says Amazon Alexa. I'm sorry. I just used the term. (laughs) I tried. Can't play YouTube music directly. But if you can connect your phone to Amazon E device via Bluetooth, once connected, E will act, and I'm using E for Echo, by the way, will act just like a Bluetooth speaker. Then you can play your favorite YouTube music tracks over your E device. Damn, so still not. Oh, well, um, I should explore YouTube music more. Uh, maybe I will. Damien, hold me to it. I, I, I'm volunteering you to hold me to trying YouTube music more. This article, by the way, is dated April 13th, 2023. Well, thanks for letting us know about that, Damien. And to all the listeners and viewers, we'd love to know what music subscription do you use? And uh, do you listen to your podcast through it? Please let us know. Email podcast at betterpodcasting.com. Come to our Discord at betterpodcasting.com forward slash Discord. Find all of our contact information over at betterpodcasting.com slash contact. Or if you really like, you can send SP a message over the wire. Yes, you can. By the way, I'm not going to talk about it tonight, but Patreon just updated their app today. (gasps) I got an email about it and I have updated my app on my iOS device and I have been scrolling through it. I have some thoughts, but we'll wait until next week to talk about it. Um, And uh, in the chat, we have Liberty Dude saying if one has Amazon Prime, does music cost extra? I'm not sure about down there, but I know up here. There is some free music on Amazon Music, and it is a limited catalog, and then you have to pay separately for Amazon Music Unlimited, which has the full catalog, which is more like your Spotify's and presumably your YouTube Musics. So um, definitely, uh, we were running into limitations in the household when we were only trying to use Amazon Music Basic Service. Hmm. Okay. And Damien says he already hates it for his first impression of Patreon. So there we go. We, we got, we got, we can say we talked about it. We, we talked about it and we got our first hater <laughs> and it wasn't us. SP, before we go, uh, why don't you remind everybody where they can also listen to your podcast? They can listen to it on Google podcasts. <laughs> oh, you mean what other podcasts do I do? Okay. I, I don't so, really care at this point. Honestly, <laughs> at this point, it, you gave me the opportunity to say, why, why are you on Google podcasts? Nobody wants to be on Google podcasts. Uh, yeah, I use Google Podcasts at work because it's like one of the few podcast players that I can use oh, at work. Fair so enough. One person. We talked about it, it last week. You must have not edited that part because <laughs> I talked about it when you were gone, I think. Anyway, the podcast that I'm doing right now this week, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., we're going to be talking about Loki Season 2, Episode 1, the premiere. We're going to be live at Geeks.Live on Sunday at noon. Eastern time. So come on by if you want to talk about low key. And if you want to get us your input beforehand, feel free to join us in the discord or send us a voicemail or email or whatever and get it into find us at legendsofshield.com. That's where you need to find us. Legendsofshield.com. Legendsofshield.com. 
dot com. There, I said it three times. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, before we go, I will quickly recap the last minute chatter we have in the chat because we do have uh, a Johnny Pennington saying for music, he uses his record player and CD player. Also, the radio old school and which in Canada, you'd be subject to those CRTC regulations. And then we also have Liberty Dude say Google podcast is how I listen to audio podcasts. So I look forward to finding out what you plan to replace that with uh, once it's gone. Liberty Dude, love to know if you're just going to write it out and see what YouTube music at podcast is or if you're going to explore other options. Looking forward to your uh, your thoughts once we get closer to the day you have to decide. <laughs> 2024 is coming. So that's going to go ahead and wrap it up for episode number 65 of Better Podcasting Live Chat. I'm Steven saying, yep, it's October. We're still here. And I'm SP saying, if you guys want to talk about hobby podcasting, come to our Discord, betterpodcasting.com slash Discord. See everybody next time. Bye. Bye. And find us on Google Podcasts. Thanks for checking out another episode of Better Podcasting. You can find the full back catalog of Better Podcasting at betterpodcasting.com. If you're into geeky podcasts, please check out the other podcasts on the Gunna Geek Network at gunnageeknetwork.com. This show was produced and edited by Stephen John Drew. Voice work was done by L.W. Salinas. Thanks again for listening or watching, and we hope to see you again next week.